Hi, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Today, I have the great good fortune to be talking to my friend, Ann Plusenak, who I met about a decade ago while hanging upside down in New Hampshire. And yes, I'm being a bit coy, but the story is much better when we tell it together. But we'll get to that in a minute. Anne had a couple of really challenging years leading up to 40 that included a major loss and a huge move, and it felt like she was finally peeking out again when she turned 40. Anne describes herself as mostly boring, but don't believe it for a minute. Wait until you hear what she'd call her memoir. That is, if she wrote one. All right, here we go. Hi, Anne. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so excited to get to talk to you again. Me too. My recollection of you and I is that we met in an aerial circus class. Is that right? We did. <laughs> okay. So here's why I fell in love with this podcast. In the first episode, you talked about how when you met Patrick, you were like, don't be too aggressive. And that is how I was when I met you. Cause I went home and I was like, <laughs> we're like the olds in the class. We're normal looking people. I am going to calm down and I'm not going to text her every day of my life <laughs> because I could absolutely go all in on this and be scary. <laughs> I'm so sad that you didn't because you moved away a couple of years later. Yes. And I think I told you a couple of years ago or at some point on Facebook, I said, if you hadn't moved away, you and I would be best friends. I think we have a lot of similarities. We are similar kinds of people. I'm sorry that you decided to turn off your, I want to be your friend, <laughs> aggression. Interestingly, I found Ariel right after my 40th birthday i was already with patrick and a girlfriend of mine was doing it and sort of created a, a hey bring your friends thing and so a couple of girls i knew we went over mm. there and i absolutely fell in love with it the very first time i could do nothing but i fell in love with it and the thing that i remember trying to describe to people when you put a silk around, you tie it in a knot, you put it around your waist, and then you tip back just to sort of go upside down. All of your weight is being held on essentially your spare tire. Mm -hmm. I remember going home and telling Patrick, my fat hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, how else do you describe it? At what point do you put all of your pounds on your spare tire. Yes. On purpose. Yes. Yeah. I remember the bruising was so bad on my inner thighs that I told mm -hmm. my husband, I can't go to the gynecologist because they're going to ask me if I'm safe in my home. <laughs> and I'm not prepared to go into all of, because it will sound like a lie and they will call the police. Funny, I'm going to jump from there and go to my gynecologist and this is safe for work. Back in the day, I told my gynecologist, because of course, you know, do you exercise? And I was like, well, I do this aerial circus thing. And the location that we did it was on a street that she actually 
drives home on. Mm. To this day, 10 years later, once a year when I go in and see her, she's like, I always think about you when I go home because I drive right down Lake Ave and I see that building and I wonder if you're in there doing it. It's just hysterical. I did it for a long time and loved it and then had to give it up a couple of years ago for health reasons. But one of these days, my goal is to get back there, to get back on those silks. Um, We'll see. I miss it. Someday. It's fun. Me too. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) You have a 40 story. I do. You told me some really broad strokes of it, and it sounds exceptionally harrowing to me. I'm so interested to hear you bring it to life. You said it started when you were 38. You had a really tough year. Yeah. So the end of the year, you know, everything was pretty normal. We were living in New Hampshire. And my husband had decided at the beginning of the year that he wasn't happy with his company anymore. We both work in retail. And so in his end of year review, so let's say that's March, because our years typically end at the end of January, he had told his boss, because we were also unhappy in New Hampshire. We were told it was going to be two years. At that point, it was four. He had said, I'm not going to be here for another holiday. And we meant like in New Hampshire. And then nothing happened. There was no transfers. Nothing was in the works. He had brought up a couple of different things. And so he was really casually trying to find something else. So we were in Spain in October of 2017. And he got like a LinkedIn message from a, a, a direct competitor, essentially. So it'd be going into the same kind of job saying, hey, we have a district manager position open. Do you want to talk? And so he said, what should I do? I said, well, tell her you're in Spain and you'd love to have a conversation when you get back home. So right. that following Monday, they did the exploratory conversation. This was probably the middle of October. We'll say like the 17th, if that's a Monday. And he said, just so you know, I won't leave after November 1st. I don't think it's right. We're going into holiday. I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. I'm not going to do that to somebody else. So if you want to pause, pick this conversation back up in January, like just know that that's where I am. She went the other direction. She railroaded him through. So that is what I do for a living, (laughs) interview and hire retail leaders. Mm -hmm. They flew him to Chicago. He met with the regional vice president. Two days later, they flew him to Texas. He had five C-suite interviews in one day on Halloween. So they flew him there on the 30th. They did the interviews on Halloween. He was in the airport. He was in the airport. He had not left. And they called him with a verbal offer. So, yes. And so we were like, it's got to be right, right? For them to to go through all of what they need. It takes me three days to just get an offer letter. Mm -hmm. So for them to do it in 20 minutes after he had been at the airport, they were ready. We just had to agree that this was the right thing. So he gets home. He resigns on November 1st. The company he was with, you know, it's like Mary Poppins. They like rip out your flower and punch through your hat and just send you on your way. So there's no two weeks to work out. So he's great. He's super excited. He's going to have two weeks before he starts. So he's going to take a little bit of time and then pretty much start like the week of Thanksgiving. So this was the following Tuesday. We now are relocating to Cleveland. And we've had zero minutes to think about it. We're super excited. We go that weekend. We leave on Friday. 
to go to Cleveland. And I remember I was in Logan at the legal seafood bar. And I remember calling my dad and saying, we're moving to Cleveland. We're going there to find an apartment tomorrow. We've made some appointments. We'll see how this goes. And my dad's saying, okay, this is not the first time that this has happened, but he's like, okay, Cleveland, good for you. My cousin had just moved from there and actually ended up really liking it. So I remember talking to him about it and he was super excited. It was bringing me a lot closer. That's right, it's key. closer to home for Yeah, you. so home was Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I had been out on the East Coast for 15 years at that point. And so I was coming to a place that was within driving distance for him. He will get in the car. He will drive for eight hours. It was going to be great. He was over the moon that I was going to be so close. We go to Cleveland. We spend one day. We find an apartment. It's not even built yet. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. Yep. So, and then we get home, we fly home on Sunday. I go to work Monday and Monday morning, I get a phone call from my dad's live-in girlfriend that he had fallen. He was in the hospital. He's non-responsive. You need to come home. So I finished out my day of work because I was like, there's nothing good is coming from me leaving right now. Let me just figure this out. So I called my husband books and flight arrangements. I was like, I think you need to come with me. We didn't really know how it was going to go. So we flew out first thing in the morning, went to the hospital and there was, there was essentially at that point, there was nothing they could do. He had been having some health problems, but not anything that was immediately life-threatening, but he had a fall and that, that was it. I mean, none of us really kind of know. And so later that day we, you know, removed him from all of the equipment and then spent the next week making plans. So, um, you know, contacting those who need to be contacted, making arrangements. My parents didn't live where I had grown up and my father was very connected to the town that I had grown up in, which is about 150 miles away from where he was living. We knew that that's where any sort of service or memorial needed to be. So we make those plans. I call a friend like can I stay at your house for a couple of days just kind of make all of those contacts and involve yourself in it you just like get through it so it's five days of there's so much work involved in questions and in different things so we took care of all of that flew back to Cleveland that Sunday so the, the seventh was the day that he passed away and that was a Tuesday we fly back home to New Hampshire on Sunday Um, and have to pack because my husband is leaving on Saturday for Cleveland. So he had to go. His new job was starting. If he pushed it back any further, it was going to be Thanksgiving and there's just no reason for him to start at that point. So I'm now alone in an apartment that I have to pack up. I had figured out I could stay at work until December 15th. So I had a month Uh, alone at home while he was in Cleveland, busy training, learning a a new company. He hadn't been with a new company in, I don't know, 15 years. So everything was new. All the people were new, all of the processes. So I stayed back and packed up our apartment, continued working, finishing things out. And I just checked out of everything else. So I went to work and I went home. Outside of the people that I was immediately working with, Nobody there had to know what was going on. And so I didn't have to say it out loud again, because that to me was the worst part was to continue to have to say my dad died. 
And so I didn't, I stopped doing everything. I stopped going to Ariel. I, I went to work and I went home. By that point, I was working at SNHU and the friends that I had made there, they were unbelievable. They had a schedule of like who was going to sleep over because they knew he was leaving and I was going to be alone. And they right. knew that was just not going to be good for me. Dad was like, that's five years. And I still like, I still miss him every day. Um, so they knew that it was just, it was going to be so hard to be alone. So they, they really took care of me for that month and oh. made sure that I was at least going to be able to get to Cleveland right? and get home and get home and get to my husband. And at this point, so now I'm working and I'm also in grad school. That was the, that was the other thing. So I was like also in grad school. <laughs> One more thing. Right. Let's just add it. Right. Yeah. So I left New Hampshire, December 15th, I think, or 16th, drove to Cleveland. Our truck came December 23rd. <laughs> Like, yeah. Right. So now, and then you, that's when you like start all those firsts. So now this is the first Christmas that I'm going to do without my dad. My mom came to Cleveland to help me unpack because my husband was working. He mm -hmm. couldn't take December 23rd off to right. meet the truck and help unpack. It's one of the busiest days of the year. So my right. mom came out to Cleveland to help me unpack and meet the truck and, and do all of what we needed to do for those couple of days. And so she stayed, I think she left Christmas morning to go back to my brother and his family because there's some little kids and Christmas is way more fun with short people yeah. than it is with somebody yeah. who's just been crying for six weeks. <laughs> don't recommend that. So now I don't have a job. Uh, I was in school, so I did have something to do, but so much of my being at that point was work. I loved it. I focused on it. It was who I was. And I was like, okay, like I'll give it until the new year. Let me take a couple of weeks. It's not imperative that I start working right away. I'll start looking in January and then nothing. Nobody's answering. I'm applying to all these jobs. I'm not even getting interviews. I'm like, I know if you interview me, you'll hire me. I promise. Right? I'm really engaging. <laughs> Nothing was happening. And I, I started to just absolutely break down. Mm. I remember the moment was at some point in January, because I thought, you know, it would be a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. Like, you thought it'd be easy. I thought it absolutely would be easy. At that point, I had a couple of different career paths. I had worked in retail for 20 years. I was getting my master's degree in human resources, and I had spent a year working at a university. So I can go a couple right. different directions. There's two colleges I can walk to. Right. There's so many options, and none of them were panning out in the, like, the one-day timeline that I'd given myself to find a job once I started mm -hmm. looking. I remember at one point I was in the middle of whatever was going on in my brain. And I remember my husband said to me, well, do you want to like go see someone? And what he meant was you have friends all over. Do you want to go stay with a friend for a while and just get out of here? What I heard is, do you want to go to therapy? I heard it exactly <laughs> the same way you heard it. And, and that was the right question. Right. Because I was like, yes, I, yes. That's exactly where I need to be right now. Like, I don't know if I did have a job. I also don't think I would be any good to anybody right now mm -hmm. in this current state. I can't even think. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, again, how many parallels can we have? My dad died summer of 2016. Mm. So the year before your dad. And I've had this conversation with my cousin who lost her dad 10 years ago. She lost her dad very suddenly. My dad was sick. So we knew it was coming Mm -hmm. to the point where Patrick and I were going to get married in May, but we got news in February that sooner rather than later was going to be better. So we just threw our entire wedding out and planned and executed a wedding in 29 days. So we got married in March (laughs) of 2016. Mm -hmm. Then it was just craziness. We lost my dad in in August, Mm -hmm. just a couple of days after his birthday, actually. And so I've said to my cousin, is there a better way? Meaning, is it better to have it happen suddenly or is it better to have the long drawn out year and a half of, you know, impending doom? I think I can probably speak to the, the benefits of it happening slowly and she can speak to the benefits of wishing she had the year and a half. Not that there's a best way to lose someone, especially your dad, but so at some point thereafter, I don't remember when it was, it was probably after the holidays, Patrick said to me, <laughs> I think you need to see someone. <laughs> You're very angry. Yeah. <laughs> so caring husbands for the win, because he sent me on the same path as you. Yeah. And I was lucky because I think the challenge with the suddenly is that there are things you wish you said, things you wish you did, which when you get an extended timeline, you know, we don't have any time to waste. Let's get it all out. I was lucky that I had moved away when I was 22. And so we had to figure out what that relationship looked like. And so he was my commute person. Okay. I used to joke that talking to him on the phone was a part-time job because he would get me from point A to point B most days on my way home from work or whatever that was. We love to travel. So any driving trips, anything I was doing. So there was not a single word that was left unsaid. Neither one of us has to wonder how we felt about the other one. I feel like everything was resolved, that there's nothing that's open. Yeah. So no regret. I've none, zero. Yeah, no, zero. So I think that makes it easier if it can be easier. He took every part of me with him and I have every part of him still here. And we both feel comfortable with that. I feel the same way. My dad and I were super close and the 15 years I lived downtown, I was a mile from my parents' house. Mm -hmm. Pat and I would be sitting out on our patio having dinner and my parents would be out for a walk and they'd just wander through our courtyard and sit down (laughs) and have a glass of wine. Or we'd go over for dinner or we'd sit on their porch for a glass of wine. We just were close. We vacationed together Mm -hmm. for five or six years before he died. We'd rent the lake house together for a week and and spend that time together. So I agree, sort of no regrets around Mm -hmm. having spent the time, having had the relationship, having no regrets about having missed out mm-hmm. on on things. So you're right. I suppose regardless of whether it's short or long, that's probably the better uh, qualifier of how difficult the loss is. Yeah. Then it came down to the things that we would miss out on together. His birthday is in April. So mm-hmm. I started to think and, and talk about with my therapist, how do I kind of... He was always real big on birthdays. He was the only person I knew who rounded up. He turned 60 and then was, oh, I'm almost 61. 
like from that next day. And my birthday was important to him too. I'm the youngest kid. My oldest brother's is meaningful. Mine is meaningful because it's the last one to do all these things. Every year he was the first person to call. He would call me at five o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. My dad, it's four in the morning. (laughs) He wanted to be first. Even though I lived with my husband, he wanted to be the first person to wish me happy birthday. So he loves baseball. We had done a couple of trips. So he was not a big traveler, but a couple of times he came out, we went to Boston and he got to go to Fenway and go to a baseball game. We went to New York, we went to Baltimore. So I knew that if he was here for his birthday, he would come We would go to a baseball game in Cleveland. We lived within walking distance of the stadium at that point. We lived right downtown. And and I knew that this is what we would do. So I was like, okay, this is the thing that we have to do. I personally hate baseball. I only went because it was a thing that we could do together. There's snacks, which I'm a huge fan of, especially like ballpark snacks. They're all so good. And I could do things that would intentionally annoy him, which was the like the absolute reason for my existence was to just like needle him and poke at him and try to make him laugh. We had gone to a twins game once and there was a ground rule double and I got very excited because I'm like, oh, I feel like this is super rare. Like I stood up and cheered and I'm like, yes, this is happening. And he was super embarrassed and looked at my husband like, what is she doing? Oh my God, this is ridiculous. So we go to this baseball game. My husband and I go to an April baseball game, which is very chilly in Cleveland because the stadium is right on Lake Erie. And in the middle of the third inning, there is a ground rule double. I immediately burst into hysterical laughter and hysterical tears at the same time. And I cannot pull myself together. I'm like, okay, you're here. You're in this stadium and we need to go because I cannot pull it together. I don't know how all of this is going to get fixed. Regaining composure is not going to happen right now. We we just need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fine because I didn't want to watch a whole game anyway. But yeah, I knew that he was there. I knew that he was sitting next to me at that game and that was enough. That was what I had gone there to see. Yep. (laughs) That's That's amazing. It was so funny. (laughs) I love that. Hi, I'm just popping in here to say, if you're enjoying the podcast, I invite you to join my growing community. Go to 40drinks.com slash subscribe, and you'll start receiving occasional notes from me that include my thoughts and feelings about these conversations, as well as what I'm learning. Just 15 episodes in, and there are definitely themes emerging already. This is also where you can connect with me to help me shape some of the conversations I'll be having with my guests. Okay, now back to Anne, who doesn't know what next looks like, but finds her way back thanks to a great therapist. So tell me about the year after. You said you had a hard time finding a job. You were grieving for your dad. You said you were pretty depressed around this whole thing. I did. It was just, I, I didn't know what next looked like. You know, I had two different career paths I could take. I was just finishing school. I didn't know what anything else outside of right now looked like. And I couldn't get out of it. And there was part of me who didn't want to know. Like, I don't want to know what this looks like because I shouldn't have to this young or this, you know, like, it's not fair. It was a lot of none of this is fair and 
I shouldn't have to go through this. I don't know why I thought that I should be immune, but I definitely did. I finally got a job in June. It was fine for what it was. It wasn't the right job for me, but I was like, okay, I have something. I have this thing. And then I finished up my master's program in December of 2018. So now now it's like a full year. So I've done all the first stuff. Yep. I've gotten through his birthday, my birthday, all of those different things, like a full holiday season. I've done all this. So like, I know that I can survive all these things. So, okay. So like now I'm ready to know like what's next. Cause I've, I've done all of this and I want to start enjoying some of those things again. And so I, yeah, so I, I, got to a point, I have a, a great friend of mine, her name is Sunita, who, who is somebody, if you need someone to believe in you and believe that you can do a thing, like regardless of if you're qualified or if you should, she's, she will tell you that you, you should like, absolutely you can do this thing. And so she convinced me that I should apply for this job that I felt I was completely underqualified for, but I could make it make sense. Like I could turn it in an interview to like convince somebody who wasn't me because I definitely couldn't convince myself that I was capable of doing it. And lucky me, it worked out. So now, yeah, so this is like April of 2019, I started that job and it's the job that I have now. I, you know, I still have my moments, but it turns out that, you know, I was qualified for it. And so, and that's when things kind of started turning around. So it's like, I'm peeking out of this. I see the future. I have this job that's combining a lot of things that I'm really into right now. It's at a higher professional level than I've been working for the last couple of years. If I remember, it also combines both of your career paths. A, a little Retail bit. and HR. Oh right? yeah, a hundred percent. It combines so many things. I'm yeah. a regional HR business partner for a craft company. When I was finishing grad school, I was like, I need something to do. I need something where I'm using my hands so I'm not on the internet all the time, but I still need to finish things. I'd been writing papers for two years, so I took a knitting class and was really into it at that time. So I was like, wait, there's this job where it's in retail, so I know that. It's in human resources, so I know that. I'm all about knitting today, and but it had a lot of travel in it. So the territory at that time went from part of Michigan, like Indiana, Michigan, all the way out to Idaho. And so I would have the opportunity to go and and see all of those places and and meet people there and explore there and and do work there and do work remotely and, and have so many different varied experiences. It was absolutely like if I made a list of all of the things I wanted in a job, it was this job. It was about 18 months that things started to turn around and I could see what I wanted the future to look like and was excited to move into it. And then for your 40th Mm -hmm. birthday, tell me what you did. So if I wrote a memoir, the title would be, she thought she was just being funny. (laughs) Okay. Yes. A friend of mine I went to high school with, she had a first birthday cake smash for her daughter. It probably was like 18 months before my birthday. It was at least a year. I know that for sure. And her sister is a photographer. Her sister was actually my wedding photographer, but she specializes in like babies and newborns and infants and maternity. So I had worked with her in that capacity and we kind of remained friends 
I'd gone to visit them. They live in North Carolina. So I'd seen them a couple of times since then. And so she posts this picture of her daughter's cake smash and she's wearing like a little unicorn horn. And so I, thinking I'm funny, comment on the picture, save the horn. I'll do that for my 40th birthday. And then think nothing of it. So somebody I know, actually from New Hampshire, sees that comment and it screenshots it, circles it, and is like, oh my God, I'll come with you. This is so funny. And then I like fully dump it out of my head and I never think about it again. So that March, my birthday's in June. So that March, uh, I was actually in Nashville with that third party friend for her bachelorette party. And we're at this big house in Nashville. She's like, tell everybody what we're doing for your birthday. What are we doing? And you have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea what she's talking about. Literally no idea what she's talking about. Because I've never really celebrated my birthday. I'm like, I don't know. I'm probably going to go to work. I was interviewing for this job at that point. I was in the middle of the process. I was like, I have no idea what we're doing. She's like, no, we're going to go to North Carolina and you're going to do that photo shoot. I was like, oh, we're doing that? (laughs) And then by that point, I was like, you know what? I need a win. Like, I need something ridiculous. I need to just like let go like I'm never gonna look any better I've been married for eight years at that point so I had wedding photos we're never gonna have a renewal ceremony we're never gonna do that we're just not those people mm-hmm. so I was like okay like I'm never gonna look better I might as well you know what let's just see so I sent an email to my friend and I was like okay so remember I made this joke is this something you'd be interested in what would this look like and she was all in as a photographer she is all in. She's, this is going to be amazing. Yes. Like, let's figure this out. And so we end up scheduling a trip down to North Carolina for the weekend. So I don't remember which picture I sent you, but she made this tutu and she made the backdrop. She made all of this stuff. She has a bakery that she goes through for one-year-olds. So she orders a cake. She gets a bottle of champagne. We spend the whole morning doing an absolute princess 40th birthday photo shoot. Cake smash. (laughs) When I saw the pictures, first and foremost, I was exceptionally jealous. (laughs) Because had I had enough forethought, that is exactly what I would have done. And this is no surprise, right? I think you and I are definitely like just peas in a pod. I want the outfit that you wore. She made it. See, I would wear that. When we promote this episode, I will post some of your 40th birthday pictures so people can see just how spectacular it was. But yeah, I was pretty envious. That was spectacular. Yeah. It ended up being the exact way that I wanted to celebrate 40 because I was really sad that I wasn't celebrating it with my dad to celebrate it in a way that was completely unhinged, but that was special. I had a really nice weekend with my friend that went down there with me and with my friend from high school and her family. I had been very close to her entire family all through high school and some of college. It was a really nice way to just kind of say, okay, This is the point where we move forward. And you also used my number one guiding principle when you described this. You said it was ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. I can't love anything more than I do something that's ridiculous. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the way I describe the 40 Drinks Project when coming up with that idea, I, I specifically say I chose it because I, at the, that point in time, I wasn't in a place where I wanted to have a big party mm-hmm. and have everybody coming there to sort of celebrate me. I was a 40-year-old woman who was single and never had great luck with relationships. And it felt like, and obviously this is all in my own head, but it felt like the wedding that I hadn't had. And mm. it, was, it just felt icky to me. So I was like, I don't want to have a party, mm. which is bizarre because I am as, as Leo as you can get. Like <laughs> the spotlight adores me and I adore it. Okay. So people were like, you don't want a party? And I was like, no. So when I came up with this crazy idea, I thought, now that is ridiculous. <laughs> and that's a great way to just extend your birthday out for as long as it takes. I can just keep saying, we're celebrating my birthday until mm-hmm. I hit 40. <laughs> yeah. And I've never so, been a big like birthday or like, because I've lived in a bunch of different places. So mm-hmm. it's hard to have one party. Like my wedding was amazing. Because people will come out for a wedding. So I was living in New York at the time. It's where my husband is from. People will travel for that. But I'm not going to ask people to come and see me wherever I'm living. None of them have ever been easy places to get to. Yeah. And say like... And Manchester, NH, not that glam. No. Cleveland, OH. People are like, you live where? I'm like, no, we actually kind of love it. It's a really good (laughs) balance between... Midwestern and Northeast. I spent a a bunch of time in Cleveland for a while. I dated a guy who was originally from Oberlin and went to college in Cleveland and had family in Cleveland. So for about five years, I was back and forth from from Manchester to Cleveland. So I am familiar with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cleveland, as Drew Carey will tell you, Cleveland rocks. rocks. Yeah, people people <laughs> laugh at us, but this, it's funny to think that we settled someplace. We actually bought a house in October, oh. which we had oh. never thought that we would do. And we didn't know if we would settle anywhere long enough for it to be worth it. Reasonable. But yeah, we bought a house in October and plan on being here for at least the foreseeable future. I don't know about forever because it's cold, but for right now, okay. it, it's really working for us here. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm glad to hear that you came out of that, that you were able to find your way out of the forest there. That's a tough year to have. As a matter of fact, this person that I dated for several years had some significant loss and trauma in his life. And he would refuse, not actively, but he couldn't processed the feeling. He, he just couldn't get through it. Mm. So it was emotional whack-a-mole. Whenever a, a feeling came up, he'd, he'd drown it in booze. Mm. So some people don't come out of the forest. Yeah. And you know, my, unfortunately. I luckily found the exact right therapist for what I needed on the first shot. I, was, I just went into what is available in our medical benefits that's close. I, I, mm-hmm. I just needed someone soon and ended up really finding the right person. Tell me a little bit about how you knew this person was the right person. Because I mean, that's something I mean, you read in mm-hmm. advice columns. And <laughs> finding a therapist is difficult. I mean, forget the fact that there aren't enough of them right now. But how do you know you had a, the right fit? The defining moment. So I process a lot of things through making connections for things. And a lot of the 
ways that I make connections and it, it sounds really stupid is through like movies and television and these fictional people going through a thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, I just need to write the rest of the story. I just make a lot of connections. I do that a lot. And it's how I kind of make things make sense for myself. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't remember where we were going. My husband and I were flying somewhere. This was maybe, maybe three months after I had started seeing her. So let's say it's six months after I lost my dad. I'm on a plane and I see in the available movies Inside Out, which I've seen it a number of times. I've, I've seen this movie many, many, many times. What I forgot is that the first 10 minutes is a montage of a little girl in Minnesota playing with her dad. Oh. <laughs> so I completely melt down on this airplane. <laughs> mm-hmm. In public. Terrible, terrible. Worst decision I ever made. And I go mm-hmm. to my next session and I say, this is what I did. And she's like, oh, I've never seen it. I'll go home before we see each other again. I'll watch it. She took notes of the science part. Oh. And she's like, go home and rewatch it and then write down like what you're feeling. So as you're seeing this thing, what are you feeling? What is it bringing up for you? What is it challenging? Then we came back together and I kind of went through this part wrecked me. And she's like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And went through the science of that. So it's the young girl is 12. And that's when your adult emotions cement so she was connecting all of those pieces from the, she's like, there's, she's like, the science is really good here, but helping me like take the emotions and just say, oh, I'm supposed to feel that way. Oh, supposed to. Oh, this is normal. Okay. The whole theme of the movie, spoiler alert, is you need the sad times. You need right. the sad times. You need to sit in it. You need to feel it to really appreciate all of the other things. And so her taking the time to do that was so meaningful to me to help those like brain synapses say, oh, that's, that's normal. Yeah. She was really willing to meet you with the tool you were using to relate to. Yeah. Cause I would come in and I'd, I would watch a movie where a husband and wife break down because the wife is sad. And I'm like, well, that's it. Like he's going to go because I cried on the couch again, you know? And she's like, no, <laughs> that's a movie. But right. you know, and so she was really good about saying like, okay, how can you then not do that? How can you take that story and make that not your story? What do you need to do? What do you need to work through? And I still have, I'm sitting at my home office and I have a little like worksheet. Actually, I still have the notes that she gave me from, look at the right here. These are her notes about love it. the movie and my worksheet on how we work through anxious thoughts and the questions <laughs> we need to ask ourselves to see if we're really being realistic, if this is really happening, or if we're just telling ourselves a story. That piece of paper has been sitting in that tray for five years, and I use it all the time. And her metaphor was just like, if you go through this list, and and it's not true, if you're lying to yourself, you just take the thought and put it on a log and float it down the river. 
And so then I know like, nope, I'm, I'm doing this to myself again. Okay. Which of those questions has been really helpful for you? Share one or two of them with me. Uh, So you just kind of go through, it's really kind of imagining the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And so, and then is that really bad? So it's imagine the worst outcome comes true. Would it still matter a week from now, a month from now, a year from now? Even if all those terrible things happen, how long is that really going to impact you? Right. And so is it going to ruin your life? Yeah. 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 Because I had so much coming from not working. Yeah. And I didn't need to. Like We were fine. (laughs) Right. But I had convinced myself that we were going to lose our apartment and then he wouldn't be able to stay in this job that he was really starting to love. And I was going to, yeah, I was going to be the thing that ruined everything. Oh, wow. That's a spiral. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. My dad used to say, and this isn't even something he said all the time, but it's one of the pearls that has stuck in my brain is consider the very best thing that could happen and the very worst thing that could happen. And then throw them both away because mm-hmm. it's unlikely that either of those is going to come true. So you're not going to win the lottery and you're not going to be homeless. Yeah. So let's get ourselves in the middle there yeah. somewhere. Oh, that's so true. Uh, I'm going to take that one. Yeah. Put that one on your notes. Yeah. I also had a, a situation like you on the plane and at the baseball game. So my dad passed in August of 2016. And in August of 2017, one of my cousins got married and it was a great big family wedding. And my dad's one of 10. These are big, big Irish to do's. Mm -hmm. We throw great parties. And I remember we were seated at the tables and they started doing, you know, my cousin danced with his mom and that was lovely. Then his brand new wife gets up and dances with her dad. And I had no concept. I'm not even sure I was paying attention because I was at a table with my husband and cousins of my age. So we were all chatting and having a drink. And I looked out and all of a sudden I was in hysterics, just absolutely in hysterics. My poor cousin, because I'm sitting with his sister, so we're near their table. My poor cousin, the groom, gets up and comes over and gives me a hug. And I'm blubbering. One of my aunts ran over and grabbed me and pulled me out of the tent And then another, so two of my father's sisters basically took me out of the tent and then my husband followed, but talking to them was, was good. And so anyway, but yeah, it was like, bam, you just don't even realize that this is going to be the thing that sets you off. I'm not even sure if if I had been sitting with a therapist and like working through what could happen that day, if I would have even thought, mm-hmm. oh, th- I'll have a problem with that. Because it had nothing to do with me. This wasn't even like my cousin was the girl or the dad was one of my uncles. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was an in-law. I mean, she's lovely. She's absolutely lovely and I adore her. But... Yeah. And like, your dad got to be at your wedding. So you got to have that moment. It, it wasn't a missed moment. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I I always like to say, and I don't know if anybody else in my family thinks this, but my wedding, our wedding, <laughs> sorry, Pat, <laughs> our wedding was, was my dad's last best day. Oh. He was from nine in the morning till two the next morning was just on. And he was, oh, actually, I, this is a great little story. <clears throat> Seven days before my wedding, my dad comes to me and says, 
I think we should take dance lessons. And I said, this would have been a great idea. Like six months. Well, ago. <laughs> I, but here's the thing. Three weeks before he couldn't get out of bed. Oh. We weren't sure what mm. shape he was going to be in for the wedding. Cause you know, some of these treatments was like, Oh, this month you're, you're a wreck. And then that month you're stabilized. And like, we had no idea. So seven days before the wedding, he says, I, I think we should take dance lessons. And I said, oh, okay, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So in that week, I think we got over to Arthur Murray like three or four times. And it was 100% a secret. My mom knew, my husband knew, and one of his sisters knew. The dance instructor choreographed for us a foxtrot to a Frank Sinatra song. And so everybody who's at my wedding, we didn't make it any smaller, still mm -hmm. like 150 people. They know they'd gotten the save the date mm. for May. And, and then, then a week like, later, they had gotten Go that, ahead and plan come something in March. for that day. Yeah. Come in March. And so they all sort of knew that. And, my, you know, my dad looked, you know, he didn't have any hair. You know, he looked, he looked a little gray. So my dad gets up and he, you know, makes his toast. And then he says, you know, now I'd like to dance with my daughter. And I walk over and we bust out with this foxtrot and we brought the house down awesome. i mean people were going nuts because they expected him to be sick mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact the before the reception he had been mostly sitting down because he wanted to make sure he had his legs for the dance so if you had been sort of watching my dad you would have seen that he was there but he was seated he was pretty subdued mm -hmm. he was just saving himself he danced the rest of the night <laughs> oh that's but so we good brought the house down with this foxtrot and of course my mom and there were plenty of others but like you know sobbing you know there was there were there was not a dry eye in the house <laughs> but you're right it's not like we missed that opportunity it's not like when I sat down at my cousin's wedding that was like a, oh god I didn't get that mm -hmm. in fact it was a hundred percent the opposite it was not only did I get that I got it spectacular and we made it happen in 30 days so there's a lot to be grateful for there, but I understand where it sort of sneaks up mm -hmm. on you and, and it just, yeah, it's you weird. Like your body remembers the trauma and it's like, why do I feel off? And then it's like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. those anniversaries. Mm-hmm. Yep. You said you still feel your dad with you though. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Regularly? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. How does he come to you? A lot of time when I'm in the car, mm -hmm. because that's when we would talk on the phone. You know, if I have anything really good to share, he would be the first person that I would want to tell. So when he's like always around when things are good. And then, you know, he'll just like randomly pop over. So I was sitting in a friend's backyard waiting for her. She was at work. A little cardinal just like comes and sit on the fence. And it's like, oh, hey, buddy. Yeah, like things are really good. Friend of mine, we were friends from college and have kind of both bounced around the country a little bit. Now lives like 90 minutes away in Pennsylvania. So we get to see each other really regularly. And he was really glad that I was able to pop over and see her because she's in my territory for work. So I can have dinner with her on my way. And so he just showed up to say, how nice, enjoy your dinner. It's those little things that I would have called him on my way and said, oh, I'm going to have dinner with Ellen because I'm going to work right. in Pennsylvania right. tomorrow. That's funny because my dad shows up as a bird too. Hmm. So I don't know if birds are a universal symbol or if it's just... Well, cardinals are. Mm -hmm. That's that symbol. 
And I just, mm-hmm. I never, I don't know if I'd ever noticed one before. Ah, ah, yeah. And then now it's like, ooh, look at that card. Right. Yeah. Nice. I'm so happy to talk to you mostly. And I'm going to say this, that uh, I'm going to email you my phone number and you're just going to not resist texting me from now on. Absolutely. And I'm actually going to be in New Hampshire in like a month. So I will, yeah, I will send you that information. Okay. Yeah, I'm abusing and it's a work funny. trip. To, I'm, a, I'm abusing a week of being virtual to do a New England tour of babies so I have um, a bunch of people that I need to see because their tiny humans are either fresh and new and I've never met them or I haven't seen them in two years because nobody's seen anybody right. in two years. So <laughs> Wonderful. And it's funny too, my husband's, one of his childhood best friends, he was in our wedding, is in um, Cincinnati. Mm. And we always talk about getting out to Cincinnati to, to visit him, but he always comes home, you know, once or twice a year. So we see him mm-hmm. here, but he's a big sports fan. And so he was saying to Pat recently, he has talked about this before. Oh, we should meet in Cleveland for, you know, a football game, for a baseball game. For a... And Pat was just saying recently, Eddie's always coming out here. I got to get out to Ohio. I think I should meet him in Cleveland. And I'm st- sitting here for the last half an hour going, I think I'm going to Cleveland with Pat. <laughs> I don't even need to go to the game with them because, you know, I'll just hang out in Cleveland and <laughs> find a way to see you. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. We'll make that happen. <laughs> Thank you so much yes. for joining me on the podcast. This has been wonderful. And again, so much parallel experience between you and I, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yes, me too. Good luck with it. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon. I promise. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anne as much as I did. Do you know someone who's got a great 40 story? Someone who experienced a midlife transition in their family, professional, or personal life? Or someone who celebrated turning 40 in an epic, profound, or really personal way? Go to 40drinks.com slash guest to recommend someone who should join me on the podcast. Next week, I'm talking to Julie Caraccio, a professional declutterer who started her business at age 40 and has some really interesting ideas about clutter. I hope you'll join me. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.